This is the Passive Real Estate Podcast, the premier podcast for passive real estate investors. Matt Jones interviews experienced passive investors who share their industry secrets and active investors who show you different ways to invest passively. Welcome back. I'm Matt Jones. And today on the Passive Real Estate Podcast, I welcome Angel Williams. Angel has been involved in real estate investing her whole life, but began her personal real estate investing journey in 2003. She is a co-founder of the Academy Presents and a managing partner of Lauren Capital LLC. Angel has experience in single-family home rentals, residential multifamily rentals, multifamily syndication, and oil and gas investing. Angel graduated from Baylor University in 2000 with a BBA in economics and in 2002 with an MS in economics. Welcome, Angel. It's great to have you on the show. Hey, how are you? Good, good. Uh, so what else would you like the audience to know about yourself? Um, uh, I think everything is there. Holy night. That was, I sound amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Angel and I have known each other for some years now. Uh, so Angel, how have you gotten started or how did you get started in real estate investing? So I was really, um, I was blessed to grow up in a family that invested in residential real estate. And so it was just a natural thing for me. And then my husband also grew up in a family that was investing in residential real estate. Um, he comes at, he comes at this with uh, uh, experience in residential multis. I came from singles and a quad and then some trailer, we had um, a mobile home community with my grandparents. And so we come with different experiences, but getting into in, uh, real estate investing was super, super natural for us. Excellent. Yeah. The vast majority of people in the real estate world, I would say, did not start out there. So there's a lot of newcomers. And so that's great that you had kind of the leg up that uh, you have extra experience beyond what most people have. And um, uh, currently, do you invest passively or actively or a bit of both? So we do a little bit of both. I, I want to say we have seven passive deals that we're in seven deals passive right now. And then we have two active commercial multifamily deals. Okay. And uh, so tell me about the deals that you're invested in. Um. So I don't know all of them because my, <laughs> my husband, when he left his W-2, he gained access to his 401k. And honestly, he just kind of started investing in things. <laughs> I think um, we're in some other commercial multis. And then I know we're in an industrial flex. Um, so we're, we're in a kind of array of things. And then of course we have the oil and gas also. Okay. And as it, when it comes to real estate investing, what kind of asset classes are you most interested in right now? Um, I think really, we probably are the most familiar with commercial multifamily. Um, there are some other things we've looked at. We've kind of explored RV parks a little bit. And of course we've explored the indust um, industrial flex a little bit, and those have some really nice numbers and they're just, it's kind of neat. Because when you're on the passive side, you really get the opportunity to invest in different things. You can really diversify your investments. Whereas when you're active side, you probably ought to stick to what you know. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Or at least team up with other people who know what they're doing in that space. Absolutely. I suppose that's the same. If you're going to passively invest, you want to invest with somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah. No, you do. <laughs> Indeed. So how do you find the deals that you are investing in? Uh, so. I think it really comes back to like who is part of the operating team. Um, we invest in the team probably more so than the deal. When we first started out, that wasn't the case. Um, so we got into the multifamily space five years ago, maybe a little, little more, a little less. Um, and at that point in time, it was really, what do the numbers look like? What's the deal? And now that we've been in the space for a while, it's who's on the team. Because projections look great, 
that projections are just projections. They're estimates. Um, so you start looking at the team because you realize who's probably going to get close to those projections, who you can trust, who you feel good about. So I think over time, it kind of, the way you look at investing changes and you'll, whereas at the beginning, you may care way more about the numbers after you've been in it for a little bit. I think you start caring way more about who the team is and who's on the team. So. Did anything happen where like you were looking at the numbers and you thought like, oh, it's going to get this kind of return. And then it didn't work out that way. Absolutely. Um, uh, well, tell me about an example. I'll tell you about it. Um, so we, when we first got started, we invested in four different deals. Um, three of them were great. One of them was estimated to like be 2.6 or something. It was this huge portfolio in Houston. And at the end of the day, it was a 1.1. 1.1 what? Uh, 1.1 X. Like okay. <laughs> we made oh. 10 and it, we didn't get a single distribution during the hold. So, oh, so yeah. And there was a cap call in there. Oh my gosh. That's <laughs> like, yeah. well, at least so, you didn't lose everything, but at the same time, that's like, I mean, in real terms we lost. If you yeah. look at the, at the real value of money, we absolutely mm. lost. Um, but in nominal terms, no, we didn't. So yeah. it, it could, it could have been far worse. Um, but it's, you know, you, you get in this, you live, you learn and, we won't invest with that team again. Yeah, that's fair enough. So how do you find a good uh, deal sponsors? Well, I trust, so I trust my gut a lot. So having that deal that went south really messed with me for a long time because I trust my inner compass a whole lot. Um, mostly because like I don't crunch numbers, my husband does. Um, so I just, I meet people, I get a feel for them. And and that's what guides me a lot of times. Um. So that was really hard. Um, nowadays, like I'm, I'm networking a whole, whole bunch and then Jason is doing the numbers on the side. And so I'm meeting people. I'm, I'm kind of making those feel like I'm filling them out. I'm making those determinations as to whether or not we're going to push any further. And then Jason will look at the deals. He'll crunch some of the numbers. But again, like I said, it's, it's the person and the team that's way more important than the deal itself. So mm -hmm. So when you're networking with people, what are some of the little things, if you can put your finger on it, like what are the things that your gut, you know, you know, is attracted to that? Like, oh yes, I like this person. They're, they're probably going to do a good work. Um, I like people that number one, they're truly engaging. Like they're actually engaging with you. They're making eye contact. They're it's little things you may not notice. Like, are they mirroring what you're doing? Because that's a subconscious thing. Um, I mean, yes, you can conscientiously say, oh, wait, that person is, is leaning this way. I'm going to lean this way. I mean, you, there's things you can do paying attention, but there's things that happen that happen subconsciously. Like when I walk up to somebody, I'm like, I might glance at their feet. Do their feet stay parallel to me or do their feet open up? Because when their feet kind of tilt out and open up a little bit, they're welcoming you to the conversation. And so it's just little things that I kind of pay attention to. And, and I'm just watching, like, do they, do they remember anything about me? If we've had a conversation before. You know, I, because I'm going to try really hard to remember things about them. And if they remember things about me, then I know that I'm important enough for them to remember things, or I'm important enough for them to have recon me on LinkedIn or Facebook before we got together again, so that they can pretend like they remember what, what they're talking about or that what we were talking about the last time we met. So those, those are some of the little things. Um, and really it just, it goes back to that gut feel, even though I've been burned once on it, I've only been burned once. <laughs> and so I really... I just trust it. It's, if something's off, I would just say like walk away for a little bit and then start asking around. This is a really small space and 
most most of the time you'll find somebody else that knows that person or maybe it's one person away one phone call away two phone calls away and just fill people out recon them find out what you can and if you're looking at investing with them and they have a list of referrals that's great but those are the people that are going to be the nicest about them um like seek out your own referrals see if you can find other people that know them that will give you some information and if somebody's been burned by them they're going to be pretty open about it and how do you find those people um so i just ask (laughs) um i now i'll tell you this and this is kind of a little a little piece of advice here for your passive investors and that's i wouldn't text it and i wouldn't email it but people are going to be very willing to speak with you candidly if it's not being recorded and there's not a paper trail, they're going to be a lot more willing to do that because otherwise word gets out. You've got a picture of the text, you've got a screenshot. And all of a sudden there's like this, this thing that can be used against you. So I would just say, if you're going to seek that information out and you want to know the dirt or you want to know stuff that's not so pleasant, I would seek it out by voice on the telephone because people are going to be way more likely to divulge that information that way. Yeah, which is why I'm not asking you about that one group that you mentioned earlier uh, while we're recording. (laughs) Real estate is all about adding value to other people. An easy way to do that is to share this podcast with someone you know who wants to do more passive real estate investing. Also, subscribe and leave a review. Now, let's get back to the episode. How can a, a passive investor determine whether or not they're a good match with a particular sponsor? So you can, you can do some questions like, you know, if you were going to put in order, who's most important in a deal, you know, is it the investors or is it the residents? Um, after that is the, you know, whoever is in that second spot position, whether it's the resident or the investor, who comes next? Um, are you going to put the GP team up front? Like who goes up front? How many fees are there? What kind of fees are involved? What's the percentages on those fees? If you've got a 5% acquisition fee on something and a 3% asset management fee and you got this dispo fee and all these fees and they're crazy amounts, then what a person is saying may be vastly different than what actually occurs. So I would say find an underwriter that can help you out as far as like what those percentages are, what those percentages are. Because if it's like a, say a $10 million property and they've got a 5% acquisition fee, it looks to me like they care a whole lot about their um, acquisition fee and that that's first and foremost, because that's what comes out at the beginning. Once you're, well, some people don't even wait till they're fully subscribed. Um, Once you close the deal, whether, whether you take your acquisition fee at close or you take your acquisition fee after being fully subscribed, that's another way to tell. Um, For us personally, we're not going to take an acquisition fee until we're fully subscribed. Um, and, and that's just a personal thing for us. Are there teams that take the acquisition fee as soon as they close, even if they're not fully subscribed? There absolutely are. And that's a question you could ask because that kind of gives you an idea of who they're putting first. Um, for us, we put the resident first because without the resident, we don't have a property. We don't have any revenue streams or anything. Um, and then we have our investors and then we're last. And, and there's a few things that we do that are a little bit different than other teams. Like if our assets not performing, then why are we taking an asset management fee? Clearly, we're not being good managers. Um, so there, there's some questions you can ask and some things you can talk about that's going to give you a really good idea of what the values of the team is and what the direction of the team is. And then from there, you can kind of determine, does this line up with what I want? Maybe you're fine with the fact that somebody's going to take an acquisition fee as soon as they close. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. 
I'm just saying what we do is we wait till we're fully subscribed. So yeah. some of those questions. That makes sense. So what are some typical percentages of the different kind of fees that you see in the space? So it kind of depends. Um, it can be very deal specific. It can be deal size specific. Um, if it's like a $5 million deal and it's got a 2% acquisition fee, well, that's really not that much. <laughs> you know, that, that's a hundred thousand being split with your GP team. If it's, you know, a $50 million deal with a 2% acquisition fee, now you're talking about a million dollars being split, right? <laughs> or is that my math maybe off? I think my math is off. I'm adding oh, no, 50 million, uh, 2% of that is, would be a 1 million. Yeah. Okay. I was like, it's my math off because I'm not good at knowing math and like off the top of my head. No worries. Uh, but that would be, I mean, that that's vastly different. So you just kind of, you want to look at it. Some teams take really, really small acquisition fees. Maybe they're in their program. They're told you shouldn't even have an acquisition fee. There are teams like that. There are teams that they want five to 8%. It just, it depends really on, you know, who, who you, who, who you were mentored by what books you read to get started, who's your coach. Um, because a lot of us start there and we're given um, kind of baseline guidelines. Um, so really it could be anything like, sometimes you'll see asset management fees at 1%, 2%, 3%. Again, I think it really kind of depends on what is the monthly revenue because that asset management fee is gonna be a part, it's gonna be based on monthly revenue. So it's, you just kind of have to feel it out um, again, I'm not really the numbers person, <laughs> so I can't just say, oh yeah, it's this percentage to this percentage, because that's not really my job on the team. My job is to talk <laughs> and meet people. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, my opinion is that, you know, some fees are, are perfectly reasonable. I mean, it, it takes the syndication sponsors some time and, and, and money on their part to be able to set up a deal. So some acquisition fee makes sense and it takes time and money to do the asset management. So some you know, costs are incurred with that. So, so some fee for that makes sense. But if the sponsors are making the bulk of their money off the fees, that doesn't make sense uh, because they should be incentivized by, you know, getting sort of the back end cash flow when they perform well. You know, exactly. so they can, they can make a lot of money that way, but that's where the money should be coming from. Well, yeah. And that's that cash flow and those revenue streams, that's what helps your investors and make sure that your investors are getting the projections that were originally put out. And so you do want to see that incentivized. Um, you don't want to see a team getting all their money from fees because then it's like, well, how do I know they're going to do anything? They're getting their money regardless. Indeed. And so what's your role on your team? So this is kind of my role. Um, I talk to people. I'm the relationship side of things and not just with investors. Um, I'm the relationship side of things with our vendors, PMC, which is property management company. Um, so I, I'm just the relationship person. Um, I meet people, I have a podcast, I do summits and it's really just getting out there and getting to know people and learning what's happening in the space. One of the cool things, maybe not the cool things, but one of the things that I've kind of been doing recently is we just had an issue at one of our properties and it had to do with gas lines. And so I started asking around like, hey, is anybody else having issues with their gas lines? Have they had issues with gas lines? Because I'm looking for patterns, right? And it's not just us that have this problem other places other cities other states their properties are having problems with the gas lines too so now when we go into a property i'm not going to be like oh yeah let's just put a hundred thousand over here on the side for plumbing i'll be like wait a second what if there's a gas what if there's a gas issue too so now it's you know 
thinking about these patterns and realizing that there's probably going to be plumbing <laughs> issues. Um, there's probably going to be gas line issues at some point in time. It's, it's another one of those, not if, but when. So we've, we've kind of been dealing with that. And so it's been kind of neat to see these things in the space. And one of the reasons why I'm really comfortable asking people, Hey, are you having issues with your property? And then being comfortable enough to answer me is having built those relationships over the past five years. So that's, um, that's, that's where my role comes into play. Okay. Yeah. That's good that you're setting some money aside for those incidentals. Cause there's, I've seen people that are underwriting and they're doing it in such a way that they're expecting everything to go perfectly. And really how often does that happen? I, I don't know. It has yet to happen for us. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So if uh, somebody was going to invest passively with you and your team, what sort of experience could they expect out of that? Um. So just kind of at the beginning, you know, you start with your underwriting, um, a lot of people say they are conservative underwriters. Your kitty really wants to be a part of this. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, people can't see this on the audio podcast, but uh, my my cat is very needy right now. <laughs> um, a lot of people say that they underwrite it conservatively, and so it kind of me it kind of makes the word conservative mean nothing. Um, but just kind of to push this idea home, on our last deal, the bank actually asked my husband if he could be a little bit more aggressive with his underwriting. Um, wow. and yeah, <laughs> so when a bank is asking you to be a little bit more aggressive, I think it's safe for me to say that our underwriting is pretty rock solid. Um, and our experience has been that, you know, we may have to pause distributions, but I, as of fingers crossed, as of right now, even in this rocky economic landscape and atmosphere, we're not looking at having to do any kind of a capital call. Um, we've, we've been able to pretty much just keep going. And it's a little scary too, to think about distributions, because what if something happens and you need some of that cash? So, so keeping more of a cash reserve, um, that's kind of something that we're leaning towards. And, and that's not just on one property, that's in the properties that we have. And just trying to maintain that level of conservatism, because we don't want to have to reach out to investors and say, hey, we screwed up. Um, we weren't prepared for this. And now it's, we've, we've got to ask you for help um, because your, your LPs are coming to you with the idea that, you know, you have enough knowledge that you can sustain. And, you know, it's like, is it Neil Bawa saying, just make it through 25, <laughs> make it through to 25 or stay alive to 25. <laughs> I forget what he's saying. Um, but that that's, we're, we're more than just like stay alive to 25. We're trying to stay in the, you know, in the black. We don't want to be in a position where we have to come back and say, Hey, we, we were unprepared. We want to try and keep that level of preparedness up. So, you know, one thing human beings are really bad at is predicting the future. With that said, if you had a crystal ball, where do you think real estate is going to go over the next year? There are so many variables. Yes. yes I, I would like, my belief is that there's going to be probably more like over the next 18 months. I think that the interest rates are going to kind of even out and we're going to see um, some modulate, like it, it's going to kind of figure out where it's going to be. I don't know if we're going to go up or down. Um, I, I know that back in 79 to 81, it took five years for the interest rates to come back down into single digits. Um, we're not going to see a 20% um, federal funds rate. <laughs> <laughs> we're quite a bit below that. So is the re recovery going to be faster? You know, I think it will be. 
that that's where this idea to, in my head is, you know, in 18 months, we should probably kind of be done. Um, but on the flip side of that, there's so many people unwilling to recognize or to state that we're most likely already in a recession that I think that kind of messes with the perception too, because you've got people out there that are still saying we're not in a recession. And my argument to that is, does, does it feel like we're in a recession? Does it feel like we're in a rough place? Absolutely, it does. <laughs> so why don't you like use how you feel as opposed to what you're being told? Because numbers can be can be spun to look lots of different ways. So yes, indeed. Now, uh, if I had to guess, you know, I think maybe there might be some dip in prices. I'm not expecting like a 2008 level crash because there's just completely different factors at play right now. But uh, I mean, I, I agree with you. It'll recover. I mean, anything you buy now, if you hold on to the long term, it's going to do well as long as it's operated correctly. Absolutely. And and I think that part of the dip in pricing is happening because of the in, of the increase in interest rates, because mm-hmm. As interest rates go up, price has to come down because people can only afford so much of a monthly payment. So they they kind of, I don't want to say they equalize, but they they have to meet somewhere because that there's like a, I guess, a parameters of what kind of a monthly payment a deal can afford. And so you have to operate within those parameters and those parameters include a combination of what's going on with the mortgage and what the interest rate is. Mm-hmm. And what the price of the property is. So those those things kind of play together. And so the, I think that that dip in pricing is really due to the increase in interest rates. And our interest rates going to come down? Likely. I don't think we'll ever see zero again um, or 2%, 3%. But they'll probably come down a little bit. And I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> or some places in Europe saw a negative percent as well, which yeah. was crazy. But uh Anyway, I, I think it's still a good time to buy as long as you're buying right and, and have a good plan for how to handle what may come. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. If, if the numbers work, it's it doesn't make sense not to buy it. Indeed. All right. Are you ready for a speed round? Okay. <laughs> What's your favorite part about passive real estate investing? Oh, that it's passive. And I what mean, do you... Oh, go, go ahead. No, yeah. I was going to say, like, we thought we were passive investing in, re- in residential. But you still got to fill those phone calls of, hey, you need a new roof, or hey, can you approve this on plumbing? Da 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 da. When you're passive in commercial multifamily, literally, you just get distributions on schedule. Excellent. <laughs> and what do you know now about passive real estate investing that you wish you knew when you first got started? That it is 100% acceptable to recon a team. It doesn't make you look green; it makes you look seasoned. Good. What's a book that you can recommend to other investors? So I know y'all can't see it, but this is Positive Intelligence. It is an amazing book. It gave me a lot of insight into myself. It's a Shirzad Chamin, Chamin. I may be saying it wrong, um, but he's amazing. He did a, tech, a TED Talk on this, and it just gives you insight into your own personal saboteurs. And those are those voices in your head mm-hmm. that talk you out of things or they kick you when you're down or any of that mess. Mm, excellent. I haven't read that, but uh, it sounds right up my alley. Have you read Psycho-Cybernetics? I have not. It's like same sort of thing, but it talks about how to replace those negative thoughts with thoughts that you actually want to be in your head. Oh, wow. That sounds kind of like soundtracks. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like that. It, it uh, you know teaches you how to erase the, the bad ones and, and replace them with what you want. Cool. And how can our listeners get in contact with you if they want to learn more about what you have going on? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm Angel Williams on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. I'm Angel Renee on Facebook. 
Um, we've got a website. We are theacademypresents.com or laurencapital.com. So it's L-O-R-R-E-N-C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Excellent. I'll include those in the show notes. Absolutely. Is there any, is there anything else you want to mention that we haven't covered yet? Um, just go back to that. Don't be afraid to recon a team. It does not make you look green. Um, you may be embarrassed to recon a team when you're first starting out, man, don't be embarrassed because I would hate to see you in a deal that goes south because you thought it was embarrassing or you thought it made you look inexperienced. Excellent. And finally, of course, uh, go with your gut. Absolutely. Great. All right. Well, thank you, Angel, and have a great rest of your day. Thanks. Subscribe to this podcast to stay updated on new episodes. Leave a review to let us know that you enjoy the content. There are tons of ways to invest in real estate that you can explore by reading Matt Jones's book called Book About Real Estate. It summarizes many top real estate books all in one. Find it on Amazon, Audible, iTunes, Google Play, or barnesandnoble.com. If you want to learn more about passive real estate investing, go to hawkwingcapital.com.